Don't forget to rate us on iTunes so we can continue to bring great content to you. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Robin Maggio, and I'd like to welcome you to our webcast, Five Ways Nutrition Can Impact ADHD Symptoms. Today's webcast is part of Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD's Ask the Expert series. The NRC is funded by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and provides reliable, science-based information about current medical research and ADHD management. We have health information specialists available Monday through Friday between 1 and 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can reach them at 800 233 it's a pleasure to introduce today's expert, Laura Stevens. Ms. Stevens has been researching the role of nutrition and food sensitivities in ADHD for more than 25 years. She's considered a pioneer in this important field of study. She received her Master of Science degree in food and nutrition from Purdue University. And in addition to her practice as a nutritional counselor, she gives frequent lectures on ADHD. She's also the author of the book, Solving the Puzzle of Your ADD slash ADHD Child, Natural Alternatives for Hard to Raise Children. Again, we are pleased to welcome Ms. Stevens today, if you would like to begin. Well, it's nice to be with you this afternoon. I hope today that I leave you with some food for thought. Today I'm going to talk about five ways nutrition can impact ADHD symptoms. To me, helping a child with ADHD is like solving a jigsaw puzzle. You have to identify the different pieces of the puzzle and fit them in and to complete it. So today I'm going to talk about five nutritional jigsaw puzzle pieces. There are other nutritional pieces and then there are pieces like sleep and um, uh, exercise and things like that that I won't go into today. But we're going to talk about fixing poor diets, artificial food colors and flavors, food sensitivities, essential fatty acid deficiencies, and vitamin D deficiency. So here's a, uh, the first point that I want to make. This is the importance of eating an A-plus diet. And we see the typical American diet on the left and a much more healthy diet on the right. I like to think of our bodies as being the most amazing chemical factories ever designed. On the at the entrance to the factory, there are vitamins and minerals, amino acids, essential fatty acids, about 50 different nutrients that must be taken into the factory. Then they're assigned to different assembly lines. And out the back come over 100,000 different chemicals. And these are used for energy, to make muscles, for brain chemicals, for everything. So if you don't have the raw materials going in to the factory in the right amounts, you won't have the right chemicals coming out. Years ago, the government came up with the Food Guide Pyramid. They were hoping to help people lose weight. Uh, that didn't happen, but I wanted to show one thing from that. Uh, they, uh, they interviewed parents who had preschoolers, and only 1% of the children met, any of the, met all the recommendations of the pyramid. 16% didn't meet any. And for preschoolers, only 18% consumed the necessary vegetables, 34 fruit, 22% grain, 14% meat, 35 dairy. Well, the government ditched that plan because people gained weight instead of losing. And they came up with something called MyPlate. And it has its pros and cons, but there's some good things about it. The idea is that your plate at every meal should have about a quarter of a plate with fruits, a quarter with vegetables, a quarter with grains, and a quarter with protein. And then for those who are not milk sensitive, a glass of dairy or yogurt. So the first thing I'm going to talk about are grains. So you want to choose a variety of whole grains. This is 100% whole grain bread and crackers. 
uh, cereals that are 100% whole grain with low sugar, brown rice, whole grain pasta, and popcorn, but not the junky kind you get at the movie theater with all the stuff added to it. The second item is vegetables. The more, the better. They provide vitamins, iron, calcium, trace minerals, complex carbohydrates, fiber, and phytochemicals. And phytochemicals are really important. They are the pigments that give fruits and vegetables their colors and also their smell and their taste. And they have really important roles in the body in uh, handling oxidative stress. Now, vegetables don't just have to be served at mealtime. They can be used for snacks, like a plate of carrots and broccoli florets with a tasty dip. A vegetable soup, a serving of vegetable soup counts as a serving of vegetables. And you don't want to overcook your vegetables because then they kind of they get mushy and don't have a good taste. And you want to be sure to set a good example. If you enjoy your vegetables, then maybe the kids will enjoy theirs. Okay, the next one is fruits. Uh, child needs three to four servings a day. They provide like the vegetables, all kinds of things, including the phytochemicals, a real rainbow of colors. And you want to choose a rainbow of colors of fruits and vegetables because the different pigments and the different colors of them do different things. And so a rainbow will assure that you get uh, your child gets all those that he needs. Uh, 100% pure fruit juice is not a great thing. Um, a lot of kids with ADHD don't do well with a glass of grape juice or apple juice. They might tolerate a small glass of orange juice or tomato juice with, uh, with food. But um, what's better is to serve a whole section orange and a whole tomato. So these are fruits, child-sized portions, small apple, banana, or orange, small melon wedge, half a cup pure fruit juice, but not apple and grape for sure. A third of a cup cooked or canned fruit. That's canned fruit in its own juice. Well, unsweetened applesauce, a half a cup. OK, a child needs four, four servings of dairy. Dairy provides protein and vitamins and minerals especially calcium and vitamin D. Many ADHD children are turned on by dairy products. So this, is a pro this can be a problem uh, with getting their milk. And we're going to talk about milk as uh, a sensitizing food in a few minutes. If your child has to be dairy-free, he, he or she will need calcium and vitamin D supplements every day. This is very important to build strong bodies and teeth. So the serving sizes are for children, for small children, a half a cup of milk or yogurt, uh, one inch of cube, or a slice of natural cheese. And I'd avoid processed cheese like Velveeta and American cheese. Buy the real thing. The fifth item is protein, three to five child-sized portions. You want to choose low-fat meats, less red meat. Uh, poultry and fish are fine if they're broiled, stewed, or baked. But you don't want to fry with them, no deep fat frying, because this destroys all kinds of essential uh, fatty acids that we're also going to talk about. For the fish, you want to stress oily, cold water fish. Then there are dry beans that will provide protein and fiber and all kinds of nutrients. There are certain ones that will provide some omega-3 fatty acids, kidney, navy, pinto, soy, and red beans. Eggs are another good source of protein. And nut butters. But if you buy peanut butter, you want to buy it with just peanuts and salt ground together. Now what about fats and oils? You want to reduce some fats. You want to reduce saturated, hydrogenated, or partially hydrogenated, trans fatty acids. And omega-6 fatty acids, these are essential, but you want fewer of them. You want to increase other fats. You want to increase omega-3 fatty acids. And these are found in canola, walnut, and flaxseed oil. Olive oil is healthy to use. And you can saute a little chicken or fish in olive oil. Um, olive oil is not, does not have any essential fatty acids, but it's still healthy. 
and you want to reduce sugar and sweeteners. You need to become a label reader. On the package, you'll see a nutrition facts panel and look for carbohydrates and under-carbohydrate sugar, where 4 grams is equal to 1 teaspoon. It's probably easier to think of the sugar in teaspoons than grams. And you want to look at the ingredient list. And sugar comes under many different names. One thing you want to avoid is high fructose corn syrup. It's metabolized and used differently by the body and brain. And uh, it's thought to be probably harmful. Now, the American Heart Association has come out with recommendations for children because they're now publicizing that sugars are involved in heart disease. So they're recommending for children less than six teaspoons or 24 grams per day. And how much for a child with ADHD? Well, it depends on the child. Some kids with ADHD don't seem to tolerate sweeteners at all, while others will tolerate a few teaspoons. So you'll just have to see what works for your child. So this is a nutrition facts label. And you'll see that under total carbohydrate, you have dietary fiber and then sugars. So it's the sugars that you want to look for. Um, and this product had six grams of one and a half teaspoons. And it gives you information about what vitamins are present and uh, what fats are present. What about sugar substitutes? I would avoid aspartame, saccharin, sucralose. Stevia is probably OK. Monk fruit is OK. And xylitol may be OK, uh, although it seems to cause diarrhea for some people. However, xylitol does seem to have some benefits. Uh, and it benefits the good bacteria in your intestine. It's thought to prevent tooth decay in children. It's thought to perhaps prevent uh, ear infections in children. So xylitol is what I use, and I think it pre tastes pretty good. So the foods you want to avoid are soda pop, fruit drinks, energy drinks, sports drinks, all candy, all high sugary foods. I know this is tough. You want to avoid white flour. At least use it just half the time and whole wheat flour the other half. You want to avoid white potato chips and fries. Recently, I came across a really interesting article published in Pediatrics, which is a top flight journal. It was just this year. And they studied 120 children, 60 healthy children and 60 children with ADHD. They took down their dietary intake, and from that, they determined how much the child adhered to the Mediterranean diet. These were Spanish children, and I'll talk about the diet in a minute. What they found and reported was that children with ADHD had a lower adherence to the um, Mediterranean diet, more skip breakfast. They had a lower consumption of fruits, vegetables, pasta, and rice. They had a higher fre frequency of skipping breakfast, which is not a good idea. And they ate more fast food. They had a higher intake of sugar, candy, cola beverages, and other soda and a lower consumption of fatty fish. So this pyramid just shows the Mediterranean, and you can look at it later. But a Mediterranean diet has more fish. It's low in red meats. It's moderate in eggs, moderate in dairy products, low in sugar and sweets, high in fruits and vegetables, and the olive oil is the oil that's used. OK, let's talk about the second. Uh, dietary piece of the puzzle, artificial food colors and flavors. I just love this kitty cat. Uh, the most co in the United States, there are seven dyes that are used most commonly in foods. And the first one is red number 40. And all of these have been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. And the FD and C number that comes before the red 40 stands for foods, drugs, and cosmetics. So if a, a dye has been approved for foods, it's also automatically approved for um, drugs and cosmetics. So red 40 is the most common one found, yellow 5, yellow 6, then blue 1. 
These dyes are also found, but less commonly. Blue number two, red, th uh, green number three, and red number three. This shows the trends in the production of food dyes in the United States. These statistics were kept by the Food and Drug Administration, and I uh, graphed them for that. In uh, 1950, the amount of food dye per person uh, per day was 12 milligrams. As you'll see, in 2010, it's up to 62 milligrams per person per day. This is almost a five times increase in their production. Where are these colors found? We need to read all food, beverage, drugs, and cosmetics label. And here's a hint. If a food or beverage looks too pretty, it's probably dyed with artificial colors. So here are some examples. Kind of goes on and on. And we see here that it, it all, it, the, there are dyes in the mouthwash, in the vitamins, in toothpaste, and in children's Tylenol. When we had a study at Purdue about the dyes, I was amazed to find that there was a, just a little bit of dye in fluffy white frosting in some brands of marshmallows. I guess to make those things look whiter somehow, I don't know. There's red dye in Catalina dressing. And I couldn't find in the pickle aisle any pickles that were not dyed with blue and yellow dye. So why are they used? Well, they're used to replace colors lost during processing, to standardize color in products. So if you buy a product in New York and in California, it will look the same. Maybe added to match artificial flavor uh, and to attract consumers, especially children. So here's a product, uh, strawberry milk. It's obviously um, produced for children with the Bugs Bunny on the front. And some others think, oh, strawberry milk, that must be nutritious. Here's the ingredient list. Yes, it's got low-fat milk in it, but we see red three at the end. We see natural and artificial flavors. And oops, something's missing. The strawberries. There are no strawberries in this strawberry milk. So I encourage you to uh, put a few stra uh, frozen strawberries in the blender and let and perhaps a little sweetener, and you're all fixed. So children love the bright colors. Oh, I love this mouse. This was a lab mouse that was given. Uh, the dye uh, blue number one. And you can see that its ears and its nose and its paws are all blue. And this was a study that was done in 1994. There were 200 children. For six weeks, they followed a diet free of artificial colors. 150 children had improved behavior. They were worse when colors were added back. And some of the symptoms were irritability, restlessness, and sleep problems. Of these children, they took 34 into a double-blind study where the children were either given the real dyes or a placebo. And 24 children clearly reacted. They also reported that the larger the dose, the more prolonged the reaction. So the take-home message is become a careful label reader on all products and avoid all artificial colors and flavors. And I'll tell, tell you how to test them if you're interested. Um, OK, let's talk about the third piece of the puzzle, food sensitivities. What foods turn your child on? Well, there have been studies since the mid-1980s using few foods diets. These are really restrictive diets. It was all done under the supervision of dietitians and doctors. But like with um, lamb and turkey, they would choose hypoallergenic foods. So two meats and two fruits and two vegetables and so on. And then they would, after a while, reintroduce suspected foods. And then they carried out double-blind studies of suspected foods by disguising them in safe foods. 
And these studies were published in major medical journals at top flight, Lancet Pediatrics, Annals of Allergy, Journal of Pediatrics. And here's one study that came out of London that was really interesting. They put 79 children on a few foods diet. 60, these were hyperactive children. 62 improved, almost 80%. The foods that caused symptoms, 79% were sensitive to artificial colors and flavors. 72% to soy, 64 to milk, 58 to chocolate, and 49% to wheat. So different children, different foods. So how do you track down hidden food sensitivities? Well, I can't give you all the details here, but here are some of them. Um, first, start keeping a diet record of everything your child eats and drinks and how his behavior is, um, how he sleeps that night. Um, then you will want to try a careful elimination diet where you will eliminate one or two or more foods from the diet for a week. And then you try the foods back one per day. Most common problem foods are artificial colors, chocolate, and milk. And other common problems are wheat, corn, rye, egg, citrus, and legumes. So the take-home message is sensitivities to certain foods cause behavior changes in some children. Unfortunately, different children have different food sensitivities. We need to carry out a very careful elimination diet. OK, the fourth nutritional piece of the puzzle are essential fatty acids. Are there good fats? Do some children need oiling? Well, essential fatty acids are essential to everyone's diet. And the reason is your own body cannot make them. They're important because they form all cell membranes. And they're precursors to molecules that act as communicators between cells. So cell membranes, are, um, fatty, fatty acids are major members of cell membranes, along with some protein and things like that, protein molecules. Uh, all life takes place in the cell. And the, the cell membrane keeps the inside in and the outside out. Otherwise, we would be a blob on the floor, I guess. So that the membrane also intercepts and processes signals. And the ability of cells to do this uh, depends on the composition of the cell membrane. So which fatty acids are there and what other fats and proteins. So the second thing that essential fatty acids do, they're precursors for eicosanoids. These are vital cell-to-cell -cell communicators that affect many bodily functions, including neurotransmitters in the brain and neurotransmission. OK, there are two families of fatty acids, the omega-6s and the omega-3s. Uh, for those of you who've had some chemistry, this omega-6 fatty acid has uh, 18 carbons. Uh, the first double bond is uh, six carbons in from the omega end of the molecule. And there are two double bonds in this molecule. And so this is 18 to N6. And this is linoleic acid, the first member of the omega-6 family. This is an essential fatty acid, an omega-3 that is alpha-linolenic acid. And it also has 18 carbons. But the first double bond is on the third carbon. And there are three double bonds present. So this is 18-3, N3, that makes sense. This just shows the pathways um, for the omega-6s. It starts with linoleic acid. And down here is arachidonic acid, which can have an inflammatory effect. And it's not, it leads to inflammatory prostaglandins. And it's 
you can see that two carbons have been added to it and two double bonds along the way. Make a three start with alpha-linolenic acid. As we saw, it has 18 carbons, three double bonds, and it's processed until it becomes EPA and DHA with 20 and 22 carbons and five and six double bonds. These are the fatty acids you probably have heard of that are in fish oil. Okay, here's something you can participate in. There are seven symptoms that are associated with, e uh, with essential fatty acid insufficiency. We uh, discovered these at Purdue. Does your child have any of these symptoms? So there are seven of them, as I said, and you want to keep score with each one. Would you rate it as zero, not at all, one, just a little, two is pretty much, and three is very much. So you want to do that for each symptom. Okay, the first symptom is excessive thirst. Does your, drink, does your child drink more fluids than other members of the family, than his peers? Does he always ask the teacher if he could go to the drinking fountain? So you want to rate it not at all, just a little, pretty much, or very much. Frequent urination. Does he go to the bathroom more often than his peers and other family members? Number three is dry skin. Does his skin feel dry to the touch? Does it flake? Um, do you have to use lotion on it? The fourth is dry, unmanageable hair. Does his hair really need a conditioner? The fifth one to evaluate is dandruff. Does your child have dandruff? Not at all, just a little, pretty much, or very much. Uh, number six is, does he have brittle nails? Do they break easily? Um, do they also, or do they peel easily? Either one, and this can be on nails on the fingers or nails on the toes or both. And then the last one is follicular keratosis. This uh, picture is kind of misleading, but the, the, the keratosis are really tiny, hard little bumps on the backs of the arms that are kind of white. They're tiny, and they don't itch or anything. They're just kind of there. So you want to add up those seven scores, and you should have a total, well, this should be zero, zero to 21, not one to 21. We found the higher the score, the higher the symptom score, the lower the plasma essential fatty acids were for this group of ADHD kids that we studied. So I've mentioned what food sources there are of omega-6 fatty acids. Remember, you want to decrease these. And these are food sources of omega-3. Let me mention them again: flaxseed, flaxseed oil canola oil, soybeans, navy, kidney beans, walnuts, and walnut oils, and dark green leafy vegetables. These are long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, the EPA and DHA, that are present in cold water oily fish. So they're present in fresh tuna. They, there's some of them present in the canned tuna, but the processing robs the tuna of, of most of its good fatty acids. They're found in salmon, trout, mackerel, and sardines. So the take-home message, essential fatty acids are critical for good health and normal behavior. You want to consume, consume fewer omega-6 and more omega-3s. And if you can, consume oily fish two to three times a week. And you can also use supplements, which I can't get in the, into here because it's too lengthy. The fifth one is vitamin D deficiency. It shows these people enjoying the sunshine. Vitamin D levels seem to be related to ADHD. They studied over 1,300 children and adolescents. Vitamin D level was significantly lower in their blood in those children with ADHD compared with healthy controls. This was the second study. 62 children. Oopsie, I skipped one. Let's see if we can. Uh, this, this is the second study. 60 ADHD patients, 30 controls. 
And the serum levels of vitamin D in the ADHD kids, again, were significantly lower than healthy controls. And there, was, there seems to be only one vitamin D supplementation study, although it has been, uh, there have been studies in autistic kids. But this was one of 62 children with ADHD who were taking methylphenidate or Ritalin. So they gave one group 2,000 international units of vitamin D, and the other group got a placebo. And after eight weeks, the group receiving vitamin D had a decrease in evening symptoms, while the placebo did not. And they had also had an increased vitamin D in the blood. So why might vitamin D help? Well, there are vitamin D receptors in the brain. So the brain needs vitamin D. Genes can be affected by vitamin D, can act as kind of an on-off switch, turning certain genes on and others off. It's involved in the making of neurotransmitters and nerve transmission. And it also helps control free radicals. So the take-home message is, ask your doctor to measure your child's vitamin D level. Then how to increase the level if the level is low? Well, you can try direct sunlight for 15 to 20 minutes without sunscreen and without a hat and without long sleeves, but not long enough to cause a sunburn, because that can lead to skin cancer, of course. So if your child is fair-skinned, you could do fewer than the 15 minutes. If he is really dark-skinned, then more than 20. You can also supplement with vitamin D3, uh, 1,000 to 2,000 international units per day. And then ask your doctor to repeat the blood test after a few months to make sure that your child's levels are now within the normal range. So today, I hope I've given you some food for thought. All right, great, Laura. Well, thank you for all of that wonderful information today. Um, we will jump right into our questions. So one of our first questions was when you were talking about dairy, you said many ADHD kids are turned on by dairy. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. What I meant was that it changes their behavior. It, in some cases, it makes them more hyperactive. In others, it can make them more tired. Um, but milk is a big problem for many kids, not all of them, but for many of them. Um, what about, we have somebody who's asking about the healthy food diet, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, annatto, um, saying that it's from a plant. Yes. But, but they heard that it's even worse for an ADHD child um, and causes symptoms. They're wondering if that's, if there's any research on whether that should be avoided as well. Well, there hasn't been, not that I've seen, although there are reports of allergic reactions to Anato. Anato is a bright red, or bright red, bright orange-yellow color that's used as a food dye. It's not the same as the F, D, and C dyes, which are derived from petroleum, by the way. But um, it, this is derived from pl uh, plants. And so, yeah, it's possible that any given food could bother uh, some, some children. It's an individual thing. So just because it's natural doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. Yeah. But I would assume that most kids do not react to an auto. OK, thank you. Thank you. What about um, any, any, any information on zinc supplements for ADHD kids? Well, there are a group of kids with ADHD who are low in zinc, and uh, zinc supplements can be helpful. But you probably don't want to give it to, uh, you don't want to give large doses of zinc. because You would stick to something around the RDA, maybe uh, 10 or 15 milligrams per day, because too much zinc can drive down copper levels, and copper is an essential mineral also. Sorry, moving on to some questions about fish oil. Is fish oil as effective as eating fish? Well, I think always eating the whole food is better than taking supplements. Um, 
because there are lots of other things found in that food. Like in fish, there's protein and magnesium, and you could make it synergistic effects of the fatty acids with other things that are in the fish oil, or that are in the fish that uh, are not in the oil. But um, like, I, I can't stand fish, and so I can't get omega-3 fatty acids. I, I can't eat them in fish, so I have to take them by supplement. Thank you. I think that definitely helps clarify. Um, what about, you talked a little bit about the research on the Mediterranean diet. Um, so is that particularly good for ADHD kids? I think we had someone wanting clarification on that. And then also wondering if there are any other common diets that are particularly good or recommended. Well, the Mediterranean diet, as I said, you know, has less red meat, uh, a moderate amount of eggs and, and milk, and uh, but lots of fruits and vegetables. So, uh, you know, I think the basic, the, the diet I laid out about what, what's a good diet is the way to go. You know, one with lots of fresh fruits and vegetables and lean meat that isn't fried and whole grains and very low sugar, uh, very little junk food. Okay, thank you. Um, what about as far as checking uh, children's sensitivity to dyes, soy, or um, uh, any anything like that? Is there a blood exam, or is there some sort of specific test um, that can be done at a doctor's office to help figure that out? Well, there's actually a test you can do at home. You can go to the store and buy like McCormick's food dyes. The five, let's see, there are four little bottles, I guess. Of, that have red, yellow, blue, and green dyes in them. And you can put a couple of drops of each into a glass of water. And before you have your, whoops, before you have your child drink it, um, you can ask him to read from uh, a book that's, that's his level, do some math problems to see, just see how his behavior is. And then have him drink the dyes. And you will see within 30 minutes to a couple hours uh, how he reacts to that. But you should always be around for something like that. You don't want to do it and go go out together someplace. So that's one simple way to do it. OK, thank you. Um, what about any? There, there, I was just going to say there aren't any blood tests or anything else that uh, will are helpful for for the dyes. Okay, okay, thank you. What about um, any, again, thoughts, research, or ideas about the use of probiotics? Um, I haven't seen recent research about that, but uh, probiotics is certainly a, a big factor uh, in many diseases. If your child has had repeated rounds of antibiotics, like for ear infections, then uh, the, the antibiotics kill good bacteria in the intestine so that uh, bad ones can flourish and also um, uh, yeast can grow. And these can give off toxins that cause nervous system symptoms. So restoring the balance there can be important. Okay, thank you. Um, what about, I, I know, I'm sure a lot of parents, the children have allergies to different things. So we have um, one parent who's specifically saying that her son's allergic to fish. Um, so are there any substitutions to, you know, fish oil that can be given? I don't, I think there's krill oil, which is kind of like, well, that's a shrimp kind of thing. I don't know if that would be tolerated or not. They're the the long chain DHA and EPA are pretty much from oily fish, and he's he's sensitive to all kinds of fish or just because often uh, one one kind of fish will be tolerated, but another one might cause reactions. Is she sure that uh, the salmon and all of that those fish fishes have um, are problems for her child? 
So I guess I'm answering with a question. Actually, she says all fish. So um, what about kind of a similar question, those allergies and that sort of thing, or even if a child doesn't have allergies to dairy and milk, are there any benefits of using almond milk um, instead of regular milk? Yeah, that's a good question if they're not sensitive to it. Um, yeah, the, 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 the um, probably the most nutritious substitute is um, uh, soy or soybean oil or soybean milk and that is uh, has um, protein and it has the calcium and so you have to be careful with things like almond oil and cashew almond I'm sorry almond milk and cashew milk because um, you want to make sure that they are supplemented with uh, with vitamin D and with and that they contain calcium. Okay, great, thank you. What about um, any information? I know there's a lot of different questions. I know people are having just about different supplements and that sort of thing. So, it's, uh, vitamin B deficiency and attention disorders. Is is there any research or information on that? Yeah, there used to be. Um, there were several studies suggesting that. It could be helpful. Um, a doctor I respect very much says that uh, while uh, B vitamins help some ADHD kids, it will make others worse. And so his recommendation is to start out with um, B1, which is thiamine, and try 50 milligrams of that a day and see if there's any improvement. If it's worse, obviously, you would stop it. Then you would do the same for riboflavin, uh, vitamin B2, and then the same for vitamin B6, uh, par, uh, paradoxine. So, um, so I, I think just giving every child B vitamins is not a good idea. There are some that are going to react to them and be worse. So you have to be cognizant of, of that problem. What about the difference between omega-3 in plants versus um, fish? The omega-3s that are found in, in flaxseed oil and some beans and green leafy vegetables and walnuts. Uh, walnuts are the only nut that provides omega-3 fatty acids, but they're, it's providing the short chain omega-3s. Um, Oh, you know, we saw alpha linolenic acid, the parent molecule. That's uh, th those foods are high in that. And if a child's uh, metabolism is working properly, he should be able to convert that to EPA and DHA. But um, not everybody's pathways work properly, so that um, it's it's not a guarantee without measuring the fatty acids in the blood that, uh, that the child was uh, responding and making EPA and DHA. Because they don't think it's the, the, um, the alpha-linolenic acid that helps, they think it's the EPA and DHA. And just as a quick follow-up to, to that, um, someone was told, or this one parent was told that soy milk had a lot of hormones in it. Um, and that it wasn't good to give. Any additional opinion on that, or is that, can you point to any research or either? No, I can't. Um, sometimes it's given to babies because they're uh, allergic to milk, but um, my kids were both allergic to milk and they were also allergic to soy. So um, it can be an allergy kind of thing. And I think they have recommended the the hormones in it because of their they're like estrogen, and uh, so I don't I don't know what they're currently recommending for children in the way of soy formula. We have a question about sugar, and um, you know, knowing that sometimes kids with ADHD tend to crave sugar more than other kids, and have a harder time with impulse control and resisting sweets. Do you have any suggestions on um, how parents can help handle that to, to reduce the sugar intake, what they could substitute with, and just kind of how to help their child? Sure. 
Well, um, if you want to see what the effect of sugar is, you can avoid it totally for a week. It, it's like the food dies. And then after seven days, let him pig out on the sugar. But you, of course, you don't at that point, you don't want to include foods that have uh, food dyes in them, too, because that will complicate the results. But see how he does on sugar. Uh, and if he reacts, as many do, then you will want to keep the amount really, really low. And I mentioned that um, um, sugar substitutes aren't all so great either. Um, so I mentioned that monk fruit and stevia are ones you can try. I don't care for the taste of those. I don't tolerate sugar, so I avoid it. But I do like the xylitol, which tastes good to me. Um, but it does cause diarrhea in large amounts and in some sensitive people, uh, just the way uh, other sugar alcohols will cause diarrhea too. So it's really tough. This is a, this is a very, um, many, many people in the United States are hooked on their sugar. And I, yes, I do believe there is an addiction. And I've known of kids who, there was one child who, when he went into the kitchen, he would lick his hands and then stick his hands in the sugar canister and then lick the hands. So he kind of figured out how to get his fix. But it may work best to slowly decrease the amount. You know, in recipes, cut the, the one cup to half a cup and then a quarter of a cup the next time. Try substituting some xylitol for the sugar. What you don't want to use is the high fructose corn syrup because that's metabolized differently in the, and used differently in the brain than uh, glucose is. Um, and we have a clarifying question um, about why um, should grapes and apple be avoided? Yeah, well, they, have, they don't have much in the way, the juice doesn't have much in the way of nutrition. Uh, and the, and, but they're very high in fructose, the fruit sugar. And uh, this bothers some kids. It's just too much. My kids do not tolerate, and I don't tolerate, apple juice and grape juice. I can tolerate a small glass of orange juice. But it's much better to eat the whole orange, or in the case of tomato juice, the whole tomato, than to just the juice, because um, the whole fruit has fiber in it, which slows down the absorption of the sugars. Um, which make it better, and of course it has all kinds of phytochemicals and important uh, nutrients in them, the whole fruit that you don't get with the juice. Okay, thank you. I think that helps. Um, we'll see if we can get maybe three more questions in. So um, we have a, a parent who's saying that the medication their child takes suppresses his appetite. Do you have any suggestions for getting um, the most effective calories in, into him? Yes, I talk about that in the book. Um, ask your doctor if you can give the first dose after he's had breakfast so that his appetite is good. And um, then it gets tough later on in the day because he, he will, um, his appetite may be decreased and it's hard to get lunch down. and. Even by dinner time, he may still be affected. But uh, you want to make sure that in your anxiety to make him eat more, that you don't just use junk foods because he'll eat those. You want to make them nutritious foods. OK, thank you. And kind of a similar topic, we have another parent who is saying that their child's a really picky eater. Um, so again, do you have strategies on maybe how to diversify your child's diet and, and make sure they're getting the right nutrients they need? Well, I go into that in the book, too. Um, the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to turn dinner time into World War III. You want it to be calm and peaceful. So tell your child you expect him to try a bite of a new food. Um, Studies have shown that it may take as many as 10 times before a child accepts the food and will eat it and like it. So just keep trying. Don't give up and don't fight about it. Uh, one thing I used to do was to put a plate of vegetables out on the counter before I was going to serve dinner 
everybody came out and they were so hungry. That, what what can I eat now, Mom? And so, oh, well, there are vegetables there with a dip. Help yourself. And so by the time dinner came, they'd already had a, a good slug of vegetables. And our last question I'm, we're going to end with today is all of these different tips and, and these ways to help have nutrition help with ADHD symptoms, um, are these applicable to adults as well? Well, we know that there, there aren't the studies bio, of biochemistry in the adults that there are in the children. But we know that um, children with ADHD often grow up to be adults with ADHD. And so you would think that if there were foods that turned a child on, that there might be foods that turn an adult on. So keeping a careful diet record would be important. Fatty acids can be re really important. Um, so there, there are um, ways around that. Gotcha. OK, well, thank you. That was, that was really great. And this is about all the time we have for our webinar today. Um, so thank you so much, Ms. Stevens, for a wonderful presentation, and to all of our participants for taking the time to join us. Just remind them that they don't have to accomplish all of this in a day. So we do want everyone to, you can go ahead and save the date and save your spot for our upcoming webinars by re registering for one or both of them today. You can visit our website at chad.org slash asktheexpert to register. ADHD challenges continue into adulthood for 35 to 65 percent of children with ADHD. Finding strengths, building resilience, and learning to self-advocate will improve your child's chances of succeeding in college, vocational school, or the workforce. Learn how to prepare your child for life beyond high school at www.helpforadhd.org. That's www.help and the number 4, ADHD.org.